All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series, The Joy for All, just looking at the, uh, the Christmas story uh, there in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And so last week we looked at uh, the, the passage, the, the, the account of, of uh, John the Baptist's birth being foretold and how that was all going to take place. And now we're going to look at uh, the foretelling of the conception of the Lord Jesus with Mary and so Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be several decades ago. In fact, in August 27th of 1883, there were several Australian ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia, who that morning, early that morning, heard what they thought were gunshots. And so in the outback of Australia, you typically want to know if you hear gunshots. You want to know what's going on. You want to know whether or not, whether or not it's something you should prepare for, especially back in the 1880s. The 1800s were in Australia were much like the 1800s in Western America. And so you wanted to know what was going on. And so they wondered, what's happened? What is taking place? We clearly heard something that sounded like gunshots. Well, what they heard were not gunshots. They heard something that was actually 2,200 miles away. And so you may hear that and say, there's no way you could hear something that was 2,200 miles away. Uh, that's impossible. But the reality is it's not impossible. In fact, what they heard was an, a volcano erupting. And this is recorded in history. They heard the eruption of the volcano on the Indonesian island of Krakatau. And so they heard this explosion from 2,200 miles away in the middle of the Australian continent. It was the loudest sound that's ever been recorded in history. And that is, that is it's, it was louder than the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. It's louder than anything that's ever been recorded in history. Uh, nothing has come close to the sound from the volcanic eruption on that Indonesian island in 1883. The sound was so loud that it literally killed people for distances around the eruption. Do you know that you can die from sound? Sometimes you may come into like a concert setting or something where there's a lot of loud music and, and you think that you may die or perhaps you want to die because it's so loud, right? Uh, I've... I've never enjoyed my ears feeling like they're being pierced by sound, even though I do like some loud music. But there's just some situations where you feel like, I want to die, or I literally may die if I don't get out of here. But the truth is, you can die from sound. In fact, at 202 decibels, they tell us that you can die. It's a lethal dose of sound at 202 decibels. Uh, the volcanic eruption there on that island in Indonesia was 310 decibels. Nearly one and a half times the lethal amount of sound came from the eruption there in Indonesia. That eruption was heard 2,200 miles away by those ranchers in Australia, but the sound wave carried four times around the circumference of the earth. 25,000 miles the sound traveled. It was so distinguish distinguishable that people 12,500 miles away, and literally on the other side of the planet, could, could sense that at the moment the, the movement of at the air pressure came by, they didn't hear the sound because they were so far, but they could hear or, or feel the air pressure, the sound moving past them it was detectable. Let me tell you something. When that, that eruption and the sound that came from that eruption is very similar to the power and the glory of our God. It gives us a picture, a window into his incredible power. 
See, what seems to be impossible is possible when it comes to God. How could anyone or how could any person hear something that was that far away? How could ranchers hear something that took place 2,200 miles away? Most of us have a hard time hearing the voice of our spouse from across the room, right? But we, these ranchers could hear something. I was expecting some men to confess, but uh, just laugh. Maybe that's confession in and of itself. How could you hear something so far away? It's impossible. And yet those ranchers on that particular morning heard the volcano. The eruption reminds us of the awesome power of God. I'm reminded of Psalm 29, verse 9. I should be on the screen for you, where the psalmist says, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. The awesome voice of God, the awesome word of God comes across and it causes all things to happen. It causes the deer to give birth. It strips the forest bare. Uh, We read in Genesis 1 and 2 that it was the voice of God, the, the word of God that brought into existence all that there is. In other words, there was a moment in eternity past when what we know to be True today, what we know to be in existence today was not there, and yet God spoke a word and it became. God said, Let there be, and what He was saying came into being. See, there is nothing impossible with God. And we see this reality magnified over and over again in the Christmas story. And so, if you've got your place there in Luke chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 26. Luke, writing to Theophilus to give this man, this recent convert to Christ, a full understanding of the gospel that he's believed and and the faith that he has entrusted, is explaining here the importance of Jesus and the reality of Jesus being God and the Savior. And so he says in verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that we would take this account And as we read through it, as we study it, Lord, as we look into the words here that you've recorded for us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into our lives and remind us that there is nothing impossible with you. Lord, as we are reminded here that uh, 
Elizabeth, this barren woman, that she was able to conceive because of God. Lord, as we look at Mary, this virgin who was visited by Gabriel, she was able to conceive and bear the Son of God because of God. And Lord, as we look at our own lives, sinful lives, lives that are in rebellion against you, God, may we see that because of what you've done, the impossible has become possible. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, as we read this text here, as we read this passage, we see that Gabriel, the angel, comes and visits Mary. This is his second birth announcement. Last week we looked at him coming and, and visiting, uh, visiting Zechariah as he was in the temple and, 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 and doing his service as he was supposed to do as a priest. And as he's uh, attending to the altar of incense and bringing the bread into the show places. He's doing those things. The angel came there and stood in his midst and announced to him that Zechariah, your prayers have been heard and they will be answered. Your, your wife will conceive. She will have a son. You will name his John and he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. So now we come to the second birth announcement. This time he's visiting a young virgin in Nazareth whose name was Mary. She was a close relative of Zechariah and Elizabeth. A little bit about the people in Nazareth, a little bit about the people in Galilee, those in Judah to the south disdained the Jews who lived in Galilee and they claimed that they were not kosher because of their contacts with the Gentiles. They especially despised the people from Nazareth. Many times they would hear somebody coming from Nazareth and they say, what good comes from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? God in His grace, God in His goodness chose a girl from Nazareth in Galilee to be the mother of the promised Messiah. Her name is Mary. Now when it comes to Mary, people tend to go to one of two extremes. Some will either magnify her so much that Jesus literally takes a back seat to Mary. He takes the, 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 the back seat to her glory and they emphasize her over and above the Lord Jesus Christ. And then others would will, will, will push against that so much so that they devalue Mary's importance and Mary's role in the Christmas story and in the story of redemption. Both extremes are wrong. We need to live in the middle. We need to live right where the Word of God is. And the Bible tells us here, if we were to continue to read, that when, when Mary comes and visits Elizabeth to see that she is in fact pregnant, what happens in Elizabeth? Her baby that she's carrying leaps in her womb because the mother of the Lord has walked in. Mary's an important figure. Mary's an important lady. But she is not deity. The son she bore was God. So who was Mary and what was Mary like? The Bible tells us here that Mary was a Jewess of the tribe of Judah. She was a descendant of David the king. The Bible tells us that not only was she from Judah and a descendant of David, but she was also a virgin. This young virgin was engaged to a carpenter by the name of Joseph, who was also from the city of Nazareth. And apparently... According to Luke chapter 2, they were both poor. They were not rich. These were not uh, uh, the social elites. These were just common, ordinary Jewish people. And among the Jews at that time, 
the engagement process because the Bible tells us here that she was betrothed to Joseph. She was engaged to Joseph, to put it in our vernacular. And so the engagement back then was almost as binding as marriage itself. In fact, the man and the woman were often referred to as husband and wife, even though the official marriage had not taken place. But it was binding upon them. The only way that that betrothal could be undone is to literally be divorced from the one you're betrothed to. These young Jewish girls, we know from history, were often uh, engaged and married young in life. And so Mary, at this point, was most likely a teenage girl. The visitation and the message from Gabriel to Mary reminds us today that nothing is impossible with God. When you think about what he's laying out here, we see here that nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. I mean, think about it. So many times in our own life, we forget that God is in control. We forget that God can do anything he so chooses. We forget this wonderful truth that nothing is impossible with the Lord. I mean, think about it. When you get bogged down by the doctor's report, when you get bogged down by the, the report that came back from that, that, that study you did at the oncologist's office and you're told that you have cancer of some form or fashion, we have a tendency to forget that the God who spoke it into existence is the God who also will hold your hand while you're facing cancer. We get bogged down and we forget by the weight and the trappings of life when we are called into the supervisor's office and handed a pink slip. We forget that God is Jehovah Jireh. Not only is he Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, he's also the God who provides. When someone close to us dies, we can forget that God is Jehovah Shalom, that he is my peace, the God who gives me peace. When we are abandoned by others and left all alone, we can forget that God is Jehovah Shema. He's the God who is there. He's the God who sees. He's the God who knows. He's the God who acts. He's the God who provides. He's the God who is always with us. You see, nothing is too great, nor is anything too low for the Lord. He can do anything. And the Christmas story, as we read it here, as we see the life of Jesus taking formation in this world, it reminds us that God desires to do the absolute impossible in our lives today. And so in this passage, we see the miracle of the impossible. We see God do things that no one else could do then, and we see God do in these passages things that no one can do today. So let's look at the miracle of the impossible, and I'll share it with you in three stages, three accounts this morning. First of all, I want to look at the miracle of the impossible in the barren. In the barren, look there in verse 36. Gabriel is, is talking to Mary and he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Gabriel's saying, Mary, what I've told you, what I've instructed you, what I've declared that is going to happen in your life, you can believe it because your, your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. The one who was called barren is bearing a child. This declaration that he's talking with or sharing with Mary overwhelmed her. We, you can only imagine the, the weight of what she's beginning to feel as she hears that, that she's going to bear a son, that she's going to conceive in her womb a young child, and she's going to give birth to this boy, and he's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the Most High. He's going to be holy. It overwhelmed her, and it caused her to ask a question. How will this be? 
This question that she asked is very unlike the question that Zechariah asked when he was visited by the angel. There was disbelief in him. But as she asked this question, the, the question is not a, a question of unbelief. It's really an evidence of belief. She's saying, yes, I believe this. I just don't understand how it's going to be performed. I understand and I believe the promise, but the performance I'm not so sure about. Lord, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I'm not even fully married yet. I've never known a man. So Gabriel, in order to assure and remind her that God was able, he informed this young girl that something similar had taken place to Elizabeth. Can you imagine being in Mary's shoes here? The stress she was immediately felt, the anxiety she would have felt perhaps. And so in the grace of God, Gabriel speaks to her and says, Mary, I know you don't fully comprehend how this is going to transpire. But I want you to know that something very similar has happened in one of your close relatives. Elizabeth, the lady that you know of, the one that you love and you respect, the one you've spent time with, she is no longer bearing or barren. She is bearing a son. She will have a son. See, Mary knew Elizabeth well. Mary was her niece. Elizabeth was her aunt. She knew that Zechariah and Elizabeth were not able to have children. She knew the disgrace that they both had felt and experienced for years. She knew that they had tried everything possible to have children, but done all of that unsuccessfully. The only explanation for Elizabeth being pregnant was that God had stepped in, that God had done the impossible. So God had performed the miracle of the impossible in the barren woman. Next, he's going to do the miracle of the impossible in the virgin. And that's the second account here. We see him doing the impossible in the barren. Now he's going to do it in the virgin girl. Verse 35, And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What was to take place in and through Mary had never happened before. And what happened and took place in Mary's life has not happened since. There's never been anyone in history outside of Mary who, as a virgin, conceived a child and gave birth to that child. It is physiologically impossible for a woman to conceive of a child without the help of a man. And so there's no natural way to explain what took place in her life other than to explain it as something supernatural. It is the supernatural, miraculous work of God in Mary. And so Gabriel here explained that she would experience a miracle. She would experience the work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her betrothed, her, 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 her fiancé, so to speak, would not be the father of this child, even though we know that he would be legally deeded to this child, identified as his father. He would not be the biological father. Gabriel here was careful to point out that the baby would be a holy thing and would not share the sinful nature of man. Look what he says here. He will be, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. He will bear your sin, but he will not have sin. Jesus would not know sin. Therefore, he would be able to relieve us of our sin. He would have no sinful nature. He would act in no sinful way. His body would be prepared for him by the Holy Spirit there in the womb as he overshadowed Mary. And so the word here speaks of the, the, the same type of language that would be used of the Holy of Holies there in the tabernacle of t or, or the temple. So Mary's womb literally became the Holy of Holies for the Son of God who would bear our sin, carry no sin in his own body, in his own life, but he would bear our sin 
upon the cross? Why was all this to take place? Why was the Holy Spirit going to overshadow this young girl? Why was he going to cause her to conceive this son? Why would this baby to be born be the Holy Son of God? What was the purpose for the miracle of the impossible being performed in this virgin? These questions lead us to this third account. And this is where the Christmas story really comes home for us. You see, the Christmas story isn't just about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger and and people lauding him and bringing him gifts and celebrating his birth. The Christmas story must be understood through the lens of the crucifixion. It must be understood through what Jesus was coming here to do. That is to go to a cross and bear our sins in his own body and be sacrificed for the forgiveness of those sins. So this miraculous account that we see here in the center is so beautifully portrayed in that old hymn, that old Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Our choir just sang, just sang it. Listen to the first two verses. I love the language here. He says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. And then he changes in this first verse, and and he's not speaking to the Lord now. He's speaking to the people of Israel. And he says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Verse 2, O come thou rod of Jesse, speaking to the Lord again, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from the depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. And then he turns again and he speaks to the people and he says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, that is God with us, shall come to thee, O Israel. You see, the Bible tells us Jesus was born of a virgin in order to save sinners. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, he came to do for sinners what they could not, what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus came to save us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he, speaking of God the Father, made him, speaking of God the Son, he made him to be sin." Who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The reason Jesus came was to do the impossible in your life and in my life. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't work our way out of our sinfulness and into righteousness. We can't do anything to earn it, to garner it, or to measure up. We can't do anything. It is absolutely impossible. But Jesus Christ came, and he did the impossible so that you and I as sinners could be in a right relationship with the God who made us for himself. The miracle of the impossible that overshadowed Mary, it happened so that sinners could be forgiven. Jesus, the Bible says, came to set the captives free. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, he visited a synagogue on one particular Sabbath, and he was invited to stand up and and read from the text there, from Isaiah. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus read these words and it spoke of himself he said the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor why did jesus come he came to set you and i free 
He came to do the impossible in our lives. The miracle of the impossible, the miracle of Christmas is all about salvation. It's about a God who loves men and loves women and loves boys and girls enough to step out of heaven and step into history. He loved us enough to sacrifice his own son in order to redeem us. And so as we peer into Bethlehem, as we begin to observe Mary giving birth to the Son, what we see is something so much more than a story. It is something that will literally change our lives. This morning, I wonder, are you tired of running? There's so many, people, so many of us who run from the Lord. We, we chase religion or we chase whatever, but we're running and it exhausts us. I wonder this morning, are you tired of running? Are you tired of the shame in your life? Are you tired of the sinfulness and the weightiness of your decisions? Are you tired of all of that? The baby born in that manger, according to what Jesus himself said, can break every chain. He is glorious and awesome. The Bible tells us that angels filled the heavens with the sound of his name. And they declared that he is the promised one. He is the only son. He is the peasant king who changed everything. Jesus went from a throne to a manger. He traded glory for shame. He, he went from a king to a stranger with a love to proclaim as the angels filled the heavens and proclaimed his glorious name. So today, what is our response to that? What should our response be to the miracle of the impossible that has been performed for us? Our response is simply to come and adore, as we sing just a moment ago, on bended knee. See, there's coming a day. We can either do it this morning or today in this Christmas season, or there's coming a day literally when every knee and every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we don't have to wait till that day. Because if you wait till that day, it's too late. You will bow and declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, but it won't be in relationship with him. It will be in a just punishment for your sin. But today, we can experience the miracle of the impossible, the miracle of Christmas, and we can adore him and bow our knees before him. We can lay our burdens at the feet of Christ the Lord, who is the newborn king, because we see in this text that nothing is impossible with God. He speaks and the deer give birth. He speaks and the forests are stripped bare. He speaks and volcanoes erupt. He speaks, listen here, and the dead are raised to life. You say, well, that's a cool miracle that Jesus performed when Lazarus was dead. But he doesn't just perform the, the miracle of the resurrection for those who are physically dead. He, he, he comes here to, to perform the miracle of resurrection in every one of us who are spiritually dead. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. We are all outside of a relationship with God. We are all cut off, enemies of God. We have no life in us. We know nothing of God and want to know nothing of God. And yet Jesus speaks a word over us and the deadness in our lives is transformed into resurrection life. It's a word of God. And look with me in verse 38. Mary, as she's pondering over all of what Gabriel has told her, and she's asked the question, how will this be? And he explains what's going to take place in her life and how this is going to transpire. She responds in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. What is she saying? 
Is she saying, Gabriel, I want it to be done according to your word? No, because Gabriel's speaking on behalf of the Lord God Almighty. She's saying this, what the Lord has told you to tell me, I submit myself to, and I will allow the word of God to bring the impossible to possibility. That's the miracle of Christmas. Christmas is so much more than a season together and eat food and enjoy chocolates and give presents to one another. As wonderful as Christmas or that part of Christmas is, it pales in comparison to what Christmas is really all about. It's about God giving to you and to me. And he didn't give us something that's going to fall apart in a year or two. He gave us a life that is to live forever. He gave us the life of the one who was and who is and who is to come, the eternal Son of God. He gave to us so that we could have life eternal with him. This morning, I don't know what your response ought to be to that. But whatever it needs to be, I want to encourage you to respond. For some of you, that may mean that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ because today you may be religious, today you may be a good Southern Baptist, today you may be thinking you're okay with the Lord, but the reality is in your heart you're not okay because you're a sinful person, wicked to the core, outside of a relationship with Jesus. And what you need to do is simply say yes to the gift of Christmas. Yes to Jesus and the gift of eternal life that he's offering to you. So today, the way you need to respond is to give your life to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I've rebelled against you. Lord Jesus, I understand today that you've done all that you've did through the cross for me, and I receive that by faith. Maybe for most of us in here as followers of Jesus, we just simply need to kind of clear our minds and our heart of the clutter of Christmas and really come back to the core of what this celebration is all about and celebrate the fact that God so loved the world that he gave. And make that the pinnacle of your celebration this Christmas season. Make that what you magnify. Make that what you, you rejoice in, what you talk about. And so even so much so as, as you go through this Christmas season, you gift, give, give, gift to, give gifts to everyone. You want to give the gift of salvation to people because you're so overwhelmed with the grace and the goodness of God. I don't know which, how you need to respond this morning, but whatever it is, Let's respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you got sin in your life. Maybe there's something wrong that's, that's just not right. Turn around in your pew. Make that an altar to the Lord. Come up here to the steps. Bow before the Lord. Whatever it is this morning that God is leading you to do, nothing is impossible with him. Maybe you think, I, I, the sin I've been dealing with, the, the troubles in my family, the, the, the heartache that I'm experiencing because of loss or whatever it may be, it is overwhelming and nothing can help. The Bible tells us that nothing is impossible with him. Do you believe that? Amen. Lord Jesus, this is such a familiar text for us. We read it every Christmas and we teach it to our children and we teach it in small groups and we proclaim it from the platform on these Sundays leading up to Christmas every year. But God, I pray that we would never become so comfortable with the Christmas story that we forget that it's for us, that it's for me, it's for each one of us individually. The truth of John 3.16, that God so loved the world, is the truth for my life, that God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. That he literally sacrificed him there on a cross, that the father literally turned his back away from the Lord. As he bore our sin, the Father forsaked him. He 
exhausted his wrath upon that sin. Jesus died as a payment, as a substitute for our sin. He gave his life as a ransom for me. Lord, I pray that we would not lose sight of that. That the beauty and the wonder of the birth there in Bethlehem can only truly be understood as we look at it through the lens of Calvary. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your gift. This morning, I pray that in our hearts and in our minds all across this room, that we would celebrate you. That, Lord Jesus, we would believe in you. That we would believe that you can do the impossible in our lives. Lord, this morning in this church, there are people who are hurting because they've lost loved ones this year. This holiday is never going to be the same for them. But Lord, we know that you can heal hearts. Lord, we know that you can give strength to those who are feeble. And I pray that you would do that in those who are hurting this season. Lord, I pray for those who are battling illnesses. And we have members and attenders in our church who are battling cancer. And God, many times the despair can overwhelm them. But God, we know that you're faithful. You can minister in their situation and you can heal, God. You hold everything in our lives in the palm of your hand. Lord, nothing can touch us except for what you allow. God, the truth is you always allow things that are more than we can handle. And you do that for a reason so that we would trust and rely upon you. And so, God, I pray that we would just lift our eyes to the hills. For that is where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. Be our healer. Be our minister today. Lord, this Christmas season, I know that finances can be tight. I know that sometimes people lose their jobs. And God, that just increases the difficulties there in the home. But Lord, we know that you're the God who provides. So Lord, may those who this Christmas season are wondering how they're going to buy gifts for their children or grandchildren, how they're going to pay maybe even their bills. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would provide. God, that you would bring the income, that you would bring the job, that you would do what's necessary to sustain your children. God, may we look to you as the God who does the impossible. We love you this morning. We praise you. God, as we move to this invitation time, may we respond to you in faith and in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.